Hello and welcome to the Outpost Podcast, the audio project dedicated to telling stories in the wild. We are on site at the Jack London Estate in Sonoma, California for the Bullet Frontier Dinner. Here we have gathered a vibrant handful of pioneering souls to join one another, break bread over the open fire, and explore what it means to break ground as a change maker in your industry. Please enjoy. What is your name? Paul Willis. Where are you from? And uh, I'm from Thornton, Iowa. And how long have you been in California? Oh, like two days. Oh, yeah? I mean, I, I, I just came out here for this. Right on, right yeah. on. Well, we're delighted to have you. Can you tell me, Paul, a little bit about your background and what you're contributing in this environment? Okay. I uh, started the Nyman Ranch Pork Company. And uh, there's a little bit of a story to that. I was raising outdoor, pasture-raised, free-range pigs. And uh, factory farming started really moving in on us. And we were set, uh, told, you know, you should get bigger or get out. And factory farming, what I mean by that is confinement buildings, raising animals in, in, in buildings. Uh, they have uh, liquid manure pits underneath the building, and the animals live above that. And uh, and I only had to go in one of those buildings one time to realize that I, I just never wanted to raise animals like that. So uh, my sister uh, lives in the San Francisco area, or did at the time, and I was always interested to, you know, go into a store, uh, uh, grocery stores, kind of see what was there. And uh, I remember running across a woman that was buying uh, a free-range chicken and paying twice the price. And I said, why uh, Why are you buying that? And she said, well, it tastes better. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking, you know, why, why, do, why isn't there a place for free-range pigs? And uh, so from that time, I started looking. And also at, the, at this time, uh, microbreweries were just starting to get started. Mm. And, and, you know, Prior to that, there were just mainstream uh, beers, and then there were these, there was special labels and unique things, and and thinking that, again too, we why don't we have a a, a micro uh, label for pigs that are raised in a special way? Anyway, those kind of two uh, things in the back of my mind, and and uh, uh, eventually uh, a friend of mine uh, who. Uh, when I was when I was younger, I was in the Peace Corps, and uh, so uh, I wanted to see uh, uh, go out and see Jeannie McCormick's ranch. Was, she was one of my uh, uh, friends uh, from that experience and uh, mm. in, in Rio Vista. Wow. So she's telling me about this guy Bill Nyman that's helping market her lamb, and uh, she she also had returned to the family farm, which I I had done at this time. We were both raising livestock. So the next day we called up uh, Bill, or we called Bill right at, right at the time, and we, we met for lunch the next day, and I was telling Bill Nyman what I was doing. And, and he said, well, uh, send me some, you know, let's figure out how to do this. And then uh, send me some pork. I Actually, I just <laughs> I went back to the home, took some out of the freezer, and shipped it out here. 
And he sent it around to some of the restaurants in the area. And one of the famous ones was uh, Alice Waters uh, Chez Panisse. Yeah. And they, they loved the product. And I had not really um, changed my genetics. The type of animals I was raising were carrying more uh, fat. And the at the time, the, the big push was to raise a leaner and leaner pig, which was the industry was doing. They were trying to compete with chicken in the marketplace. Everybody mm-hmm. was scared to death of fat. Mm. But anyway, they uh, so they managed to uh, come up with tough, dry, tasteless, awful pork raised in an inhumane way, you know. <laughs> so... Uh, Classic. So, uh, so my thinking was that I wanted to distance myself as far as possible from commodity uh, pork, uh, the way it was raised, uh, the, the genetics, uh, everything. Anyway, um, they liked the product. Bill said, uh, send me 30 hogs. So how do you do that? And uh, we knew that we needed to, uh, to slaughter the animals, uh, kill the animals, uh, it's a harsh term, but that's that's used in the business. Yeah, uh, the uh, custom uh, slaughter to uh, do that in Iowa, and then ship out the the primal cuts, the the uh, the the shoulder, the legs, the loin, the bellies. Anyway, so uh, this was this was exciting, and uh, we were on the phone back and forth almost constantly. And in, in February of 1995, I took in 30 hogs and, and we had them custom slaughtered and they, we had to, you know, figure out when they had to be there. They had to be chilled. You had to do the cutting of the the primal cuts and then get on a truck. And then Bill said, by the way, it has to be here 530 Monday morning. Anyway, we did it and it worked. It worked. It was very exciting. So... Uh, Sounds like it. In two weeks, they wanted 34 hogs. They wanted 36. And, wow. you know, just little by little, yeah. the, the numbers were increasing. And there were times of the year that, that I was, you know, I didn't have very many pigs. But I was raising around 3,000 a year. You know, so it was pretty substantial. Mm. But it tended to be a, a lot of pigs in the spring and the fall. So I started to look for other farmers, and I found another neighbor that was raising uh, pigs in a similar manner. And uh, we tried it, and the eating quality was good. And that was the beginning of what became the network of Nyman Ranch farmers. And I started working with the Animal Welfare Institute. We wrote the pig husbandry standards, how they should be raised. And... uh, uh, we decided uh, it was a, maybe a year or two down the road, no antibiotics ever. And uh, that's a huge deal. It, it, we, we, we've been doing this since 2000. No kidding. So a, a long time. Uh, and so anyway, that was the beginning of the network. Today we have uh, Nyman Ranch has over 600 hog farmers. Wow. And uh, they all have to follow the the protocol responsibly raising responsibly raised and and there's a uh, uh, there's a lot of things they do we don't allow this confinement uh, production system in any way which is the 
you know, the, the animals and buildings on slatted floors with no bedding and liquid manure pits and everything. So uh, we also do a lot of work uh, uh, checking on the, well, the eating quality of the pork. We pull samples from every farmer uh, and uh, we actually pay a bonus uh, on an annual basis to our farmers based on the eating quality. I don't think there's any other company that does that. Mm. So we we look That's at amazing. we're looking at the you know the genetics. Uh, almost every farmer has something different, but but we know the type of pigs that we're looking for. Most of the pigs are are crossbred pigs, and we have we have different uh, 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 breeds that we look that work well, and we have some that that you know we don't like in particular. They don't bring anything to the table for the eating quality. And so you could do all these things, but if it wouldn't be a great uh, product in the end, it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I didn't know initially was, was I was lucky, to be honest, when I started, that I had the right genetics and I was doing it the right way. It was, it was uh, I could have gone for the other white meat, lean pork and not, not had the quality. So anyway, that, that's kind of the story in a nutshell, and it, it opened up uh, a huge world to me. Uh, you know, I know chefs all over the country now. Um, environmental groups are interested in what we do. It could be the Sierra Club, uh, uh, you know, because it relates. Uh, and, and so what we do, it's better for the animals. It's better for the farmers, uh, better for the environment, better for the consumer. Fantastic. And, and, and so uh, in... You mentioned the word frontier. I think we were, we were, and if we hadn't started this back in 1995, um, where would we be today? And and there, you know we're not the only ones out there doing this, but but we definitely led the way, and we're really the largest network of farmers doing this type of thing. Phenomenal in the country, and so that is very much your frontier. You know the res- the the responsible raising of specifically pork. Yeah, and the setting and, and of we, example. We do have lamb and, and beef as well. Oh yeah, so and, and, full but, but livestock. My, yeah, right. The three species, but but uh, but my my end of it was the pork side. Yeah, very you good. Know. Very good. Well, thanks for giving the thanks for fighting the good fight and giving the good <laughs> gift. No, seriously. Um, <clears throat> uh, if you could boil it down for me, you know, I know that we got a lot of information there, but if you could boil it down for me, you know, what are the what are like the key main differences, you know, between uh, Nyman Ranch versus, you know, perhaps a traditional, you know, much larger, less responsible approach. Well, animal welfare is, uh, and how the animals were raised is 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 a cornerstone of what we do. It's, uh, you know, it's the we know we're honestly we're raising animals ultimately for food, but we feel that they should be respected and well taken care of while they're in our care they're they're not we're not producing as the industry likes to call it producing protein units we're raising pigs beautiful (laughs) beautiful and so you know we're here we're on this gorgeous you know woodland knoll in uh in sonoma on the jack london estate and in the background are these phenomenal uh, vineyards and we have a wonderful little mm-hmm. scene developing you know just over yonder which i'm certain you know you can't wait to, to sort of rejoin um where and how can i can can we taste uh you know 
the um, the the fruits of your efforts and your and your kindred farmers' efforts on site today. You mean right here? Yeah. Well, we're we're going to have uh, uh, pork and beef. Uh, Nyman products here that uh, the chefs are preparing them right now. Fantastic. I, I walked around here today. I don't know if you know this, but Jack London has a piggery right up here. It's called the Pig Palace. <laughs> and, <laughs> I did not. And uh, I think I think that it would meet Nyman if they put bedding in the in the in the building. It's kind of a circular thing. Yeah. It would probably pass however the yes. the ceilings are very where the pigs are very very low and it would be very difficult to clean it out and you know I, it's not farmer friendly understood <laughs> so there you have it jack london with a few architectural tweaks you might your pig palace might just pass he might be able to be a nyman farmer <laughs> jack london <laughs> brilliant and so um let me ask you this uh <clears throat> you know you obviously have a love for nature, right? And you have a love for uh, other beings, you know, beyond just yourself. I assume you have a love for the outdoors also. Um, what draws you to, you know, spend time in the outdoors like this? What well, is it about that that okay, you enjoy? Uh, I mean, I this is, of course, an entirely different ecosystem than where I, I, I come from the tall grass prairie. And I have a, a farm, 160 acres, that we've restored into tall grass prairie. Wow. And uh, um, it's, it, it's uh, uh, part of it was uh, prairie. I, Iowa is the most altered landscape on earth really? because of agriculture, Whoa. industrial agriculture. That's so it was all native prairie at one time, uh, only about 125 years ago. And uh, it's all been changed, and now it's all corn and soybeans, basically. So prairie, the existing prairie, is only less than one-tenth of one percent, which was, you know. Uh, so anyway, there was a federal program, the Wetland Reserve Program, and it allowed me to, to do this. So I, I have a... It's a half mile in each direction of, uh, and I enjoy that a lot. It's a it's a very dynamic system, and and then you know you you when you create the the prairie system, then the uh, you know the insects, the birds, the animals, everything uh, uh, they show up. So I, I I live that's where I live, and I enjoy it every day. So what you're saying is we haven't completely blown it yet, as no. a as a global people. That if we do create those ecosystems right. and, and if I, we do add the right ingredients that... This place here, I just learned, has, I think they said 600 volunteers wow. that uh, this Jack London Park would have been closed if, and then the community just rallied around that and they, it's it's through volunteers. They keep this open and they fundraise. That's uh, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, I was impressed by that too. There's an enormous live oak tree over by Jack London's cabin did you see that i mean i'm surrounded by enormous oak trees yeah well this this one it's i don't know it's 10 or 12 foot diameter at the Goodness base me. it's that's a lot older than me that's yeah, for sure yeah um why is it important that you know that we protect these spaces that we protect the prairie that we you know protect the natural environment well, for me, I, I mean, I think it enriches people, enriches people's lives. 
um, uh, to spend time in ecosystems, you know, in nature. Really, I, 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 I think it has a, a, a therapeutic effect for lots of people. And people enjoy it for different reasons. I like bird watching. I li- I'm, I'm very in, in, interested in the prairie things. And, uh, um, you know, and then that draws me to, okay, here I'm in California, you know. How, how what, what was this like orig- originally? You know, there's a lot of eucalyptus here. They were brought in by Jack London. They're not native. They're Australian, you know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So... And, and <clears throat> so let it, me ask you this. You every know. place has its own um, flavor, I guess, you know, uh, its own, you know, uh, uh, things to offer. Every place is, has its own beauty, uh, you know, in, in, in the natural world, I think. If you could... You know, I understand very well what your frontier is, right? And also where it comes from. If you could share some advice or, you know, parting words for, you know, perhaps the next generation who are, you know, bequeathed this mm-hmm. responsibility. And really the world is ours. You know, we can do anything with it that we want to. We can terraform it should we wish, although I hope we don't. Um, uh what is, uh, what advice would you give to the next generation that might help us continue I, to understand these values? I think, I think it, it, it's well worth uh, trying to understand what, what the environment is where, where, right where you live. And that was kind of, a, I mean, a, a, an awakening for me. Uh, there was a time, I, I mean, I never really thought much about prairie, for example, when I was growing up, and then uh, maybe it was because I, I spent those years in Africa, uh, in Nigeria, and then I came back and realized I didn't know much about about the very area that I came from, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the wild plants and things like that. And and it, uh, I I think you can contribute to the uh, uh, to the health of the environment if you understand it, and it's uh, it's interesting, it's it's. Just, just learn about what, what's in your own nest. That was beautiful. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it sounds as though you've been all over the world. Uh, we're on a little bit of an adventure here ourselves, but what, you know, what does, what is, what does, adv- what does adventure mean to you? What is your idea of an adventure these days? Well, uh, an adventure uh, for me is uh, um, maybe go someplace or see something that I've never experienced before. Um, it, it could be uh, any number of things. I, I was just fishing in Alaska here a couple weeks ago, and that was an adventure. What were you uh, fishing for? Uh, salmon, halibut. Phenomenal. Caught some other uh, uh, really deep uh uh, black cod, uh, 1300 feet down. 1300 feet. Exactly. Goodness me. Yeah. If you get something on it, t- it took more than one person to reel it in, you <laughs> yeah. know, but, and that's based on stamina alone, not even strength. Exactly. Yeah. 
everybody had it. There were about five people on the boat. Everybody had to take a turn to, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, also paying attention to some of the small things. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, a, a, a big animal. For example, uh, an insect can be just as interesting as a as a as a bear. For example. I agree. Very good. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Red. <laughs> what a treat. What a treat. Welcome to the Outpost Podcast, the audio project dedicated to telling stories in the wild. We are on site at the Jack London Estate in Sonoma, California for the Bullet Frontier Dinner. Here we have gathered a vibrant handful of pioneering souls to join one another, break bread over the open fire, and explore what it means to break ground as a change maker in your industry. Please enjoy. What is your name? My name is Lauren Fenema, also known more commonly, though, as Fen or Fenny. A lot of Laurens in the world. Please tell me a little bit about your background. Mm -hmm. Tell me, what are you building? Mm. Well, if we're going to go way back, I'm from Wisconsin, born and raised in the Midwest. I think that's important because I grew up in a super open family that supported me through a lot and like wants me to dream big and go after those things. And then, but has like a nice Midwestern, like super rooted, hardworking, like you have to work for the things that you want. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's always served me pretty well. So got a lot of like roots in the Wisconsin Midwest, like let's sweat it out a little bit. Love that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been good. And um, as far as what I'm building now, I worked for Huckberry, which is an awesome men's e-commerce company, and they do a killer job of curating really great up-and-coming brands and stories. Um, a few of them are here tonight. Mm. Good friends. Um, <clears throat> and I, I started there early, so I was there before a lot of the growth and kind of got to see that in action and really learn about e-commerce and really learn about how to get brands into this new digital landscape and how to talk about that and how to also tell the story behind brands and kind of qualify what it meant to find an, an awesome product, but more importantly, kind of something that resonated with a lifestyle. And so after almost five years there, I got a super solid foundation and not only how to run a business, but also how to kind of engage and tell stories around both product, but also lifestyle. And as I grew up in Huckberry, I kind of realized like, man, they're doing so many good things, but I wish this existed for women. And I wish that we could tell stories about women. And I wish we could 
Um, and they, and we certainly did. That's like, it wasn't like exclusive to men, but it was very much about men's lifestyle. And I kept realizing like, whoa, I live this versatile life of living in a city and being a professional and being motivated. Um, like so many women and men out there, but I also like to get outside and I also like to, I also like to adventure. I like to get on a plane and go find something I've never seen before. And that's super common with both men and women. And I feel like there's not a lot of people out there marketing to women in a way that acknowledges that and in a way that kind of invites them into the conversation and wants to tell stories, but also wants to support that versatile, multi-layered lifestyle. I think we're still kind of stuck in the past of women like, oh, you got married and now you have a baby and now you're going to go do this next thing. And it's kind of really siloed into um, one definition of what a woman is in her life at that moment. And we could get deep, but I'll leave it like surface level. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm kind of just trying to curate a one-stop shop for women who live in a city, but like to get outside on the weekends and like to adventure. Um, and then the bigger vision is to, to share a lot of stories from women about women, about how did you get that first raise? How did you start that business? How did you handle having kids and staying home? How did you, you know, like, let's just share more stories and have them be genuinely from women kind of being like, Hey, I see you and I did it and you can do it too. Um, so that's kind of in a nutshell. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, again, could go on and on and on. So yeah. you got to rein me in. Hey, I'm all about it. And yeah. I won't hold back. What is the name of this project? Mm. Right. <clears throat> name. Hey. Um, it's called Confidence. So Confidant is a a trusted friend and someone you can confide in. And yeah. that to me like has many layers. One, I love building community. I love and feel so grateful for the people in my life. Um, and that's quite literally the only reason I'm here right now is because of their support and championing me to be here and being like, oh, remember when you wanted to start that company 10 years ago? Like feels like the time could be right now. Um, and <clears throat> so that's been, that's been huge. And then also I think this idea of like the woman to woman, like, Hey girl, I see you. <laughs> like, let's, I'm your confidant. Like I'm here to help you with everything from like, yeah, there's this really cool recipe, which feels really superficial, but actually could change your life as far as like your own rituals all the way to like, we were just talking about, you know, a birth story or like how it is to to be a, a new mom like these are all like really huge moments in a woman's life and there are certainly people talking about them but there's not one destination curating a lot of these big ideas so I feel like when I talk about it in sound bites it can be hard to kind of understand how it all connects but it's really about a woman's a modern woman's lifestyle and how do we serve her not only from retail and product um, but also from like a storytelling and inspirational standpoint too beautiful yeah and so <clears throat> um in that way you know might i say that your frontier the the envelope that you're pushing the space that you're pioneering and you you know you're not alone there's this incredible movement and resurgence totally you know mm -hmm. thank god yeah <laughs> totally um, that uh is in fact uh you know uh, testing and challenging the definition of what it means to be a modern woman mm -hmm. um, and redefining that uh, uh, with uh, with footsteps that are really truly true to self. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think like my whole goal is creating a space for women to to walk into and feel like totally seen. And that means like I kind of use the analogy of like right now 
um, I could walk into a space and be like, oh, this place is making me feel like the most flirty, like sexy part of myself. And that's great. I am that way. But also like I have to walk out of that place and walk into a different place to feel like, oh, you understand that I'm outdoorsy and adventurous and you're speaking to me in that way. Cool. And then I'll have to walk out of that place and walk into another place to be like, oh, you recognize that I have a job and I'm a professional and I like run shit sometimes. Like those are all separate places. And in reality, like women and men, but women especially play many different roles in their day to day life. And I want to create a space for them to feel seen in all those layers and also like provide a place for them to like tell those stories and also find things that help them thrive. And, um, and it, you know, the idea of opening a store isn't new. That's not a frontier. But I think the idea of um, being able to share stories in the way that I want to share them and produce them feels new. And I think also the way that I want to curate and help women kind of on their path to self-discovery and continue to, like, discover who they are, that feels new, too. So I think frontier for me is building the thing that I would want to exist and kind of helping people um, participate in this, in this broader discovery of who they are. And that can be as easy as like, cool, I discovered new shoes today. Maybe that feels superficial, but if it makes you feel like a fucking boss, then I'm like, yeah, let's do that. (laughs) You know, all the way to like, if that means you have a better meeting because you feel more confident, like let's do it. I'm down. Um, all the way to like the content of like, here's how you get a raise or here's how you, you know, promote yourself. Um, Again, you got to raid me and sometimes I just can keep going and going, but I invite you. Yeah. And uh and so you know, it sounds as though you're bringing the it sounds as though the um <clears throat> it sounds as though you're adding some significant value to a really beautiful charge uh to what do I owe the pleasure of your company in this particular environment, oh. you know? All of a sudden we find ourselves in the on this Let's describe gorgeous, what are we seeing here? Totally. I see twinkle lights. I say I see that we find ourselves <laughs> in this gorgeous grassy knoll, you know, where uh, in this wonderful uh, area called the Jack London Estate in Sonoma, there's these Some beautiful history. rolling vineyards in the background, and in the foreground there's this gorgeous scene developing under yes. the lights of friends, soon to be friends, and clearly already best friends, but they just yes. hadn't met yet, all kind of gathering together. Getting ready to split some bread together, mm. enjoy some amazing food. Yeah, that's right. Washing it down with some bullet. That's right. And Always a win. Some vibrant, amazing women. Oh, ingr- yeah, agreed. Feel very honored to be here. Right on. Um, what so, brings you here? So, Outpost, um, the guys behind Outpost, wonderful gentlemen, by the way. Um, You know, my first outpost was a Joshua Tree over a year ago, and that was the first time I really got to dive into what it meant to, one, be be with a bunch of like-minded people and kind of just get to have really organic chats about not only business, but just life and like what brought them there. Um, And then, you know, as Outpost has evolved, I've been lucky enough to be able to participate in a few of these. And I think it's a really perfect representation of what it means to get people outside of the city and then outside of a convention center and outside kind of of the normal day to day business life and get them into more like what we love about this lifestyle, which is typically outside (laughs) and then also doing really simple things like sharing a meal but it turns out when you share a meal a meal, and then also maybe have a little whiskey, um, that you end up connecting in a totally different way. And you end up not only making a lot of, seeding a lot of future partnerships, but also 
just getting to know each other a little bit better and make a bunch of new friends. And uh, they've been super supportive of me for the last year and a half. And uh, I feel really lucky to to still be kind of following along and participating and seeing um, how it can not only grow my brand and kind of get it in front of more people, but also just continue to connect with awesome people. So yeah, I feel lucky. Yes. <laughs> and you already mentioned, you know, when you were sharing a little bit of your backstory with me, you know, that quite literally going outside and going on adventures is very important to you. Mm-hmm. you know, why Why is going outside important to you? What does that, what does that action, what space does that action occupy in your heart? Yeah. Also think, I love that. <laughs> um, well, this is good timing. I just came off of a, I was really lucky to go with a bunch of friends on this backpacking trip to Yosemite this weekend. Oh, so yeah. I'm like primed for this question. Yeah. Um, feeling fresh. I actually knew that. I did some, yeah. I did some, uh, I did some homework. A little, little research. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I could talk for days about the value of being outside. And I think part of it's rooted in just how I was raised. I was, you know, it definitely in a suburb and, and very much in a city, but my mom's side of the family always had a farm in Wisconsin. And so I would go up there every summer and just get out and just be able to be wild and free and explore and discover. And that childlike feeling of finding something new and just being with like, for me, it was with my cousins, but not these days it's with my like adopted family, which are all my friends. Um, of just getting to discover and explore together. That's like a very rich experience. And then I think beyond that, Um, Even if you're alone, like I did a solo road trip in October during like this transition of figuring out what I wanted to do. And it was 30 days on the road and it was like a lot of hitting national parks and kind of just like solo camping for the first time. And that was a monumental like transition of just like time to think and sit in your own experiences, I think. And like really take in the simple things in life, which is like nature is beautiful and it's a, a reminder that things kind of carry on regardless, you know, like you are, you are, and I could get phil- philosophical, but I'll keep it higher, higher level. No, 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 lay um, it on me. Yeah. Just like the idea that you're super small, but an important part of everything happening around you and you get to be present and you, you know, I love, I actually really love community and the social dynamic of like social media. Like I, I actually really do love it and that's a whole separate conversation, but I think, the the idea of turning that all off and remembering the like super um, primal and like also just um, feeling of being like alive in nature and connected is is super important to me and I think it like this weekend I needed to reset and trying to start a business is is about like creating the life that you want and for me the life that I want involves a lot of balance and a lot of like being able to like get outside and a lot of like exploring new um, new adventures you know like I just mm. learned how to surf last year and I'm like so bad I'm so bad I don't <laughs> but believe like, it <laughs> but the idea of being able to like take you know a half day on a Friday morning and go clear your head and like do something active outside and breathe in and also get like humbled by nature like just get crushed <laughs> by, <laughs> by nature and remember like no matter how successful you are like you can still get like owned by mm. nature, you know? So I think it's, it means a lot to me and, uh, and to share it with other people is like wildly fulfilling. So, um, yeah, I guess that's like my little monologue on that. <laughs> I really value and appreciate your outlook and your approach. Thank you. Um, it's really nice to spend time with. Mm-hmm. 
it sounds as though you've also been on some pretty uh, explorative journeys yourself, not just recently, mm-hmm. for sure, but ever. Um, <clears throat> you know, what is what is uh, what is better for you? What do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy the journey or do you enjoy the destination? Oh, easy journey. Why? <laughs> um, I've never really been much of a planner, which maybe I shouldn't say because I'm starting a business. <laughs> Investors <laughs> press pause uh, now. Sorry. Uh, please give me your money. Um, no, I think I. I mean, I am loosely, especially professionally, but I think allowing the unexpected to enter your life and like being becoming adaptable is is I think the key to life. And I think happiness is all about freedom and being able to explore your interests. Um, I mean, money is important and it's how you kind of support your family and support your lifestyle. But Mm. the goal is to, for me at least, is to have that sense of freedom of being able to like, again, dictate like, hey, I'm going to work really hard to build this thing, but I also want to like make time to get outside for three days on a weekend and take a Monday off or like go surf for a half day because that's what's actually going to make me more productive later. And I think um, I'm losing track of what your original question was. Journey the journey. Yeah. The journey is, um, is very much about like, you also meet awesome people along the way. Like, let's talk about that. Like the whole benefit of travel and of getting out there. Like this weekend I went to Yosemite with 15 people, which is a lot. We got all the permits for this backcountry spot. But eight of them I didn't know. And I left after literally 72 hours. And I'm like, let's travel together. Oh, my God, I love you guys so much. Like, holy shit, let's have dinners together. Like, it just, it's incredible how you can connect with people um, and how much sharing a journey together really bonds people. And I think that, I mean, that's what I like, actually think that's what life is about. So... We're getting real deep on this little interview. (laughs) That's how we like it. Yeah. Um... Your community builder, mm-hmm. what you know, what do you consider to be, uh, uh, you know, key ingredients? Mm. Not the key ingredients, but you know, key ingredients mm-hmm. um, to to build uh, to build community. You know, to bring to gather people around a, a proverbial campfire. What mm-hmm. what are the key ingredients? What do you want to see yeah. in that equation? First and foremost is just acceptance. I think like feeling welcome is like the way to get people in the door like you can't if you feel judged you're like see ya bye like no need to be here um so i think acceptance and like welcoming people and being just like overall friendly and open is huge and then i also think like helping other people connect to a person they didn't meet before and making that process easy so like showing a little vulnerability and, and sharing some stories um or i think also like giving people a point of reference of like how everything is connected. So maybe that could be music. Maybe that could be you're all outside on this trip together. You know, it's pretty easy to find one point of commonality to get the conversation started. But to me, community is a lot about um, just the acceptance and like being open and, and helping people get to a point where they feel comfortable enough to, to share some stories, which I think takes a lot of vulnerability. But um, the storytelling is like key to community to me. And you can really lead that you can lead that conversation for a while and get everyone in a room and be like, cool, here's what we're going to be talking about tonight in like a loose way. Like right now we're all, this is a huge community builder, right? We're all going to, the point is like, let's share a great meal and drink some whiskey and like get to know each other. Mm -hmm. That's literally enough to like build community. So, um, and I think the fact that 
you have a point of being like-minded and that you like to do that type of thing. So, um, and then for me personally about this brand, like community is a lot of like talking to women as they're kind of being craved to be identified as, which is like, you know, powerful and confident and adventurous and creative and adaptable and like just kind of starting to associate words with what it means to be a woman that maybe you're not used to hearing. And so even just being like, hey, we know you're really creative, adaptable, beautiful, adventurous, like ambitious woman. You should come to this thing. Come on out. You're going to meet a bunch of people just like this. Love that. (laughs) Yeah. So what words in the same vein? Yeah. What words do you, you know? What words do you want attached to you? What do you want to be remembered mm. for? What? How do you want to be known? What, My legacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you know, what words do you want to come to mind when people think of you? Oh Lauren? man, that's really hard. I have a hard time talking about myself sometimes, so Is you got to push so? me a little bit. Yeah. Um, I would say, like a, f- a friend and a connector first, first and foremost. I think I love connecting people, and I love um, making. Yeah, I love making connections. So to me, I think that's that's part of it. I also think, um, yeah, going down along the lines of that acceptance, like open-minded, uh, hopefully like ambitious and confident and fucking fun. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like check, <laughs> like fun check. Yeah, and and but like you know, having intention and um, getting people pumped to meet each other. And, you know, I'm just going to keep now rambling. Yeah. But <laughs> hey, you are keen to do that. And so, you know, if you were, um, <clears throat> let me ask you this. If you were to leave me with some parting words, uh, perhaps even some advice, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say I'm sure that you are more than aware of, you know, some amazing women out there mm-hmm. who are perhaps on a journey of their own, might be, you know, so close to being ready to jump off, you know, um, uh, to, to make that leap of faith mm-hmm. or, or, you know, could, put, could perhaps use a little nudge in the right direction, a little, yeah. a little pat of encouragement yes. and so on and so forth. What advice would you give, uh, uh, to these people? Mm, also good. I think one, like wake up every morning and write down or have a, have a way of remembering that like you're, you are confident and you are worthy of this dream. I think women especially struggle with the idea of being worthy of something. Like you are worthy of your wildest, wildest dream. So like go fucking get it. And next, like the way to do that is to start um, with small steps. Like start every day, write something down. If that's a journal, if it's like just setting the intention, like, hey, I'm going to work on this dream. If, even if it's small, I think that's a huge step. And then Lastly, like you have way more fans than you realize. Like there are going to be so many people cheering for you. Like I, you know, maybe that's, I don't think that's a unique experience. Um, I mean, I've definitely experienced that. I feel so humbled and grateful for the people in my life supporting me each and every day. But I think people don't realize like everyone loves to cheer for someone. Everyone loves to like cheer for you getting out there and chasing your dream. And um, there's gonna be a lot of days when you need to call that person or those people or text that friend and be like I am losing my mind (laughs) but I think I still want this so like you know and they'll and they'll be there for you so I think one remembering that you're a fucking boss two like waking up and realizing that you're worthy of this dream and then also like see the community around you and if you feel like you don't have it go make that community you know go 
like the vibe that you put out there and your ambition and your creativity and your excitement is going to attract the right people into your life and let them in, you know, and let them help you. And I, I have a hard time asking for help and it's going to be one of the biggest things that I learn and continue to learn is, is leaning on my community. So yeah, I guess that would be it for now. Check in in like two weeks. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this has been so fun. I wish I could cheers you right now, yeah, but I'm sure. soloing hey, this. Nah. Oh, you got it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cheers. Yeah, thank cheers, you so much. My love. Yeah. Super fun. Thank and you. And so, you know, the light's beginning to get low. Oh, I know. The cricket uh, our- symphony is rising. <laughs> I think it's a good opportunity for us to make our way back over to, um, you know, the dinner area. Yeah. I think that we're going to start plating pretty soon. Hang out with all our friends. Hang out with all of our friends. Love, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Welcome to the Outpost Podcast, the audio project dedicated to telling stories in the wild. We are on site at the Jack London Estate in Sonoma, California for the Bullet Frontier Dinner. Here we have gathered a vibrant handful of pioneering souls to join one another, break bread over the open fire, and explore what it means to break ground as a change maker in your industry. Please enjoy. Welcome to my Woodland Oak Tree recording studio. <laughs> Glad to be here. Hey, it's a real honor. Please, what are your names? I'm Libby Cooper. And I am Scott Sunvor, also known as Scott Sunvor. Please, can you guys share with me a little bit about, you know, your background? Who are you? Where are you coming from? And what brings you to this environment? You first. Sure. So I am um, a cannabis entrepreneur. Um, I'm, uh, I'm friends with Eric, um, so got invited to this amazing dinner. Um, it's actually been already quite the experience because I'm, uh, mostly vegetarian and I've basically been gorging myself on the <laughs> meats <laughs> because, <What>? yeah, <laughs> well, it's just such Emphasis good quality, mostly, <laughs> mostly, well, it's just such good quality, uh, food and you know, I Pasture really, raised. yeah, I actually really do That's care n- about Nyman Ranch pork. Uh-huh. Yeah, I actually really do care about what I put into my body. Um, as someone with an autoimmune disease, I really enjoy coming to dinners like this, where you know what you're eating, and also it's it's out in the woods. Like this is such an incredible place to be. It's we're so connected to nature. We just watched the sunset and I'm bundled up in blankets because it's actually getting pretty cold. But that's how <laughs> we should all be eating dinner every day. I totally agree. Yeah. And uh and yeah, you know the sun has just dropped beneath the horizon. The the cricket symphony is rising mm-hmm. and the scene that has been sort of, you know, 
developing over there is really, you know, it seems to be really becoming a scene. There's a nice and, glow. Yeah, there's definitely a nice glow. There's and a nice uh, glow of lights and a nice glow of people. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> and Scott, who are you? Uh, I am also now a cannabis entrepreneur very recently with uh, the woman sitting next to me. Um, before this, I was a uh, health and hardware entrepreneur. So um, I, I also have an autoimmune disease. And so the whole concept of health and the importance of that that Libby was talking about is also really important to me. And so I started a company to help people with, um, with autoimmune diseases and food allergies and just know better what is in their food and how that's going to make them feel. So now I am um, switching my focus to uh, something else that has actually been really helpful for my health also, which is cannabis. And so getting um, first some products uh, for fun out to the world, but then uh, some products that Libby and I are both really passionate about from a health perspective. Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. And so, you know, in that way, might I understand then that the frontier uh, that you guys are exploring, that the envelope that you guys are pushing, um, that the uh, space that you're pioneering is in fact, you know, exploring the freedoms of new legalities in ways that can, you know, enrich both your mind and also your health, onus on health. Mm-hmm. Would that be accurate? I think, Very. yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely accurate. I mean, for me, um, being in the cannabis industry, it's it's a freedom in itself because um, we're pushing so many new uh, boundaries. I mean, something that's really cool in the cannabis industry is um, the regulations are currently being made. You know, there were new regulations that went into place January first, 2018, and the whole industry freaked out. And the lawmakers actually have this 45-day period where they open it up to the public and people can respond. And there was so much public outcry that new regulations went into place, which were called emergency regulations. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then when the actual regulations were put out, um, uh, July, actually I think they came out July 13th, um, we're now currently in a 45-day period, like comment period. And so it's this amazing like back and forth between um, literally a new bureau in the government, the Bureau of Cannabis Control, which literally didn't exist before, and the public, the people that are actually working in the yeah. industry. Um, so it's it's just fun. I mean, it's like the ultimate frontier. <laughs> like this is this is it's the Wild West yeah. again. Tell me about it. It's literally the cowboy days of the space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and we're 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 working with cultivators and you know hash producers who have been working in this industry for so long, and they've seen so much. And it's so cool to just like visit their farms or visit their facilities and see the work that they've been pioneering for a long time, and like finally being able to get that out to a, truly a mass market. Brilliant. Yeah. How fitting then that we come together, you know, on the Jack London estate, someone who, you know, the legend himself, 
obviously, you know, an incredible and intrepid writer who himself was part of the Klondike Gold Rush, mm-hmm. right? And and so many of his formative years and uh, and influences to his writing were sort of like uh, uh, created during that time. And so, um, yeah, I guess it's just like a real treat to kind of like share the space with you guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I want to touch on the health frontier too, because Please. that's something that both of us are really passionate about. We've... Uh, we both have chronic autoimmune diseases and because of that have really had to take that into our own hands also. Like the medical system wasn't able to help us to the extent that we needed to be able to feel healthy. And so that's really, I think, another big frontier right now, just more of this personalized healthcare, people doing their own research, changing their diet, doing things like choosing to only eat pasture-raised meat instead of factory farm and choosing to only eat organic and choosing to take supplements and additional things like cannabis products to help them feel good. And so this is really an area where uh, there's just so much happening right now and so much change and so much new information that is really empowering the individual rather than needing to get your information from a doctor and needing to trust that when a lot of times people aren't really able to be helped by that. So it's really exciting to be in this space now where, yeah, there's so many frontiers being pushed and we're going to sit right in the middle of it uh, due to our own personal passions and the past experiences that we've had. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys have you know, clearly a very unique way of finding the eye of the storm yeah. <laughs> in that respect. In that way, I respect you. I'm really passionate about... Uh, um, exploring my health right and I'm certainly at the beginning of that journey in my own right I also have like a pretty even keel to deal with anyway you know I definitely have like a really uh, uh, positive hand that I've been dealt in that respect I'm very healthy Um, but nonetheless I'm extremely interested and as I spend more time in California I have the opportunity to explore a few different schools of thought that I perhaps you know haven't uh, previously had the liberty to be exposed to or even um, uh, sort of like uh, 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 you know readily seek out at my own leisure you guys are both uh, from what I understand you know very very deep into your own specific journeys Scott, I think you recently gave a TEDx talk on that particular topic. Is that correct? I did, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'd love to. So, uh, yeah, so through my personal health journey, I have uh, Crohn's disease. Uh, Sometimes my doctors say ulcerative colitis. It's one of those two. It's basically the same thing. It means that there is uh, intense inflammation in my intestines. Uh, And because it's autoimmune, what doctors will say is that um, it just happens on its own. Body attacks the intestines and it just happens on its own. No way to control it. You, you just have to take some drugs. Oh, the drugs didn't work? Okay, we'll try another drug. Uh, I went through that process for a long time and uh, was really forced to take matters into my own hands because I was getting sicker and sicker. And so through that journey, I just learned so much. I learned about the microbiome. I learned about the impact of the diet that I had and how that was actually on a biological level um, changing things and creating new compounds and substances and causing inflammation. Um, and yeah, so I just I learned so much and through the treatments that I essentially developed for myself and went and sought out as alternative treatments, which um, included um, getting fecal transplant therapy, um, which 
everyone should should at least just look up and see what that what that is. Um, and I changed. Exciting. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, and uh, I changed my diet. I became um, almost completely plant based, so almost right. vegan. If uh, I ever do eat meat, it's only really really high quality, like what they have here tonight. Um, and uh, started meditating and doing yoga. And really by taking that holistic approach, I was able to find those things through science also um, of how that could help get me healthy. And now I'm not on any drugs anymore. I used to have to go to the hospital and get an IV every eight weeks uh, with basically chemotherapy. Um, And that was not keeping me healthy at all. Um, When we first started dating and I, uh, it was like, I don't even know. You know that point where you're like sleeping together, but you haven't established if you're exclusive yet. Well, it was like California. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) It was at that point, and um, uh, I found a a piece of paper from the UCSF oncology clinic in Scott's bedroom, and I just like immediately burst into tears, and I was just like, "I'm falling in love with the cancer patient. Like, I'm. This is the worst. Like, I've got a limited amount of time with him, and I, I like then had to bring it up with him, and it was very stressful. And he was like, "I don't have cancer. I know it says oncology clinic." And I was like, "Why is this bill for seventy-two thousand dollars?" He was like, "Don't worry." And insurance covers it like every month like it's not it's not a big deal but it is a big deal yeah. like it's a huge it's deal. a huge deal and yeah. i'm so glad like we he yeah, that was my life yeah we yeah. transitioned to having that done in our apartment and so like a nurse would come and like just coming home to having you know that what's you that stand it. what's that st- oh the, the IV, IV stand, stand? Yeah. like having the IV stand set up and like you know all the needles and ugh, i don't yeah. We don't have but to talk about it. <laughs> no more drugs now. Mm. No more. I haven't taken a prescription drug in, I don't know, a year or two. Um, keeping myself healthy with diet, with uh, this microbiome treatment, the fecal transplants, with meditation and yoga, and by honestly, by connecting to nature and by being out every single time I'm in nature or camping or on a boat in Norway skiing. Um, I just feel so much healthier. And uh, I think that there's some a lot to be said for the connection that we should have with nature and that we often don't in the world that we live in today. Wow, it really sounds like, you know, the health journey that you guys have are, are on individually, you know, really kind of also speaks to um, your path as a duo. Libby, you also have, you know, a very unique approach to sort of, you know, health and wellness and seem to be very in tune with what that means in your own body. How important is getting outdoors to you, to your own mental health, body health and spiritual health? Getting outdoors is so important to me. I mean, I I actually... Um can't thank my dog enough. Um, I got um, uh, Scott our dog, I, our dog. No, I was <laughs> going to tell the story. <laughs> we have a dog. Um, I, <laughs> I, um, I on when back when Scott was sort of in the highest stress point of of his work, um, he was on a trip uh, to China and um, setting work, up a, setting up a facility, manufacturing facility and. Um, I thought it was a great idea to uh, adopt a puppy while he was gone <laughs> without his consent. And so 
Um, it took a while. I for thank me her to, now. <laughs> it took a while for me to transition from this is my dog to our dog because I think that there was a level of like, oh no, I hadn't I hadn't asked beforehand. Uh-huh. But back to your question, I mean, I truly um, having a dog has uh, reignited my passion for going camping and hiking and literally spending any free moment that I have getting as far away as possible from a city and from cars and traffic and pollution and through that um, I actually started to notice that my health was getting better and I was getting more attuned to the seasons and um, just understanding the rhythm of uh, every day and through that I actually got interested in Ayurveda so that's the um, everybody knows about you know ancient Chinese medicine and I think that now ancient <laughs> Indian me. medicine I'm sorry, rewind. not everybody knows about ancient Chinese medicine <laughs> acupuncture you know yeah. people well, have heard of that it's more mainstream <laughs> it is it it's is. more mainstream and I, I think that Ayurveda is becoming um, more you know talked about but um, uh, I mean I'm such a newbie to it and you know I've been uh, studying for about 18 months now and it's just uh, it's uh, been really helpful in my own health journey to just truly understand like, okay, I live in this location. What vegetables grow in this location at this time of year? And going to the grocery store, going to the farmer's market and, and only picking those things out. And, also, and not buying the stuff from Mexico, but getting the stuff that was grown in California. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, so it's right really on. just like changed my... Um, buying behavior um so yes thank you blue thank you dog blue (laughs) um because he had this chain reaction of just like okay be more active get outside oh i feel a bit better why am i feeling better like let me explore this oh there's like a there's a whole practice around you know go outside and bask in the moonlight like that's that's in the spring you should go outside and like soak up that moon um so things like Love that. The sound of yeah, that. yeah, it's great. But I mean, I think also what's really important to talk about, um, and it's something that Scott and I talk about a lot, is you know we still have bad days. You know, mm-hmm. there are. It's not all sunshine and roses, even though in Ayurveda it's all about roses. <laughs> but seriously, like it's you know, I'm so thankful to have Scott as my life partner and business partner because we do support each other when we have hard days, and it's. You know, I think previously we were, if every day was a bad day. You know, every day there would be pain. And, you know, for me it was diarrhea. And I'm sorry, that's so graphic. But it was just, like, very difficult. Um, and now that might be, like, only once a month or, like, once every three weeks. Um, but to have that support system um, is so important. And I just encourage everybody to create a community um, and if you don't find that community around you, there are some incredible secret Facebook groups. I mean, secret Facebook groups have <laughs> have really saved my ass sometimes. Really? <laughs> yeah, there, there are some incredible groups out there. Like whatever ail- ailment you have or like concern you have, there is a secret Facebook group out there with like a thousand people in it internationally. And you just write about your problems and yeah, people. And people help. People yeah, help. Brilliant. Yeah, community is so important. And community is a big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that draws all of us to this lovely grassy knoll yeah. tonight. Yeah. So let me ask you this. 
you've both been around the block and back in this way. Um, if there's a piece of advice that you could share, you know, perhaps with another man or woman out there who is on uh, a health journey of their own, perhaps at the beginning, perhaps deep in the weeds, so to speak, um, you know, what advice uh, can you give or, or would you readily share with someone who, who might be like, you know, at the bottom of that mountain? Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I would say it's um, it's five things, like Libby's top mm. tips. <laughs> I'm excited to hear these. Um, weed really helps. Like cannabis really, really helps. There is some form of cannabis that will help you. Like it is, it shouldn't become a crutch and it, it can't replace it everything but it really can help and take the edge off it's it's not going to be a cure but it, it helps like it in my darkest moments like it is the thing that i turn to and it really really helps um wow. one so that's one so two um is definitely just like recognizing that whatever you're experiencing is going to pass um and it's not forever you know i think it's very easy to like sort of get in this deep pit of despair um even if it's just stress at work like what whatever it is like it will pass um and i i definitely like to remind myself that um i think i already said it but three is community um i think friends are so important and to have friends that you can just say like hey i don't feel so good today like either like please bring me some bone broth or like, please leave me alone. Like just having those people around you. And if you, if you don't have those people immediately around you again, like the online community is incredible. I have some, I have some friends Mm -hmm. that I've never met. And I, I feel like they're dear friends just because I've formed like multi-year relationships with them. I also do. Yeah. 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 It's wild. Mm -hmm. It's wild. Like have you even talked to them on the phone? Like you transition to those points. (laughs) Um, uh, Number four is I think just like really recognizing what you're grateful for every day. I think really, really helps. Like if you can think about the things that really make you happy, I think then uh, you just fill yourself with more positivity and it, it can definitely um, mitigate some of the darkness as well. And I think that could be something like, oh, I'm really grateful that I'm going to go to this incredible dinner today. You know, I'm really grateful that I get to go to Sonoma County today. You know, waking up and having that positive thought instead of waking up and being like, oh, I'm experiencing so much pain. Mm. The mind is such a powerful thing. You can actually like, you can legitimately block out a lot of shit. It's great. (laughs) It's so great. Just fill it, fill it with good stuff. Um... And then number five is, um, I think just looking at what you do every day, like whether it's your job or whether it's a relationship that you're in that isn't serving you anymore and just having the confidence to let it go. Mm. Um, that one took me a really long time, Mm -hmm. but I think that just comes with growing and getting older. Like we just have such a finite amount of time that we shouldn't be spending it you know, on something that isn't bringing us joy. Yeah. Thank you. Those were good. 
Yeah, those are real good. <laughs> deep, so, uh, deep. You better step up, Scott. <laughs> yeah, wow, wow. Maybe don't ask Pressure's him the on. same question. <laughs> ask him no, I actually, I, I actually have uh, some him. different things than what you were going to say, too. Really? So, so, yeah. so, so let me ask you exactly the same question. <laughs> you know, if, if, you know, what advice do you have and can you share, you know, with somebody out there, man, woman, you know, boy, girl, uh, child, adult, doesn't matter, who is on, who is, you know, perhaps even beginning a health journey of their own on unsteady ground. So the, f- I'm going to do a quick, just like quick shots on a few, a few things and then go into detail on one thing. So first I would say eat plant-based and organic as much as you possibly can. Uh, it organic, just get rid of all the shit, chemicals, pesticides, I mean, even processed foods that like, if there's a chemical in there that you don't know the name of, just don't eat it. It's not good for you. We're Why? not because these things have only been around for 50 years. Like we have no idea what impact it's going to have. What we have been doing for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years is eating plants directly from the ground that don't have chemicals on them. Like maybe some occasional meat here and there, but meat that was like nat- natural or naturally raised or maybe you hunted it yourself or you caught it in the ocean um, so that's the first thing wait I have to interject yeah. you're gonna hate me because I already had my bit but <laughs> it applies to what you put on your skin as well yeah 60% of what goes on your skin gets absorbed into your body so yeah. what yeah, yeah. so think me. about that. that that is very good <laughs> okay yeah. well I'll be quiet okay second uh <laughs> Try, try to have a meditation practice, even just for a couple minutes a day, even if that's just sit down when you walk into your house and close your eyes and take five really slow breaths, like even just something really tiny like that, I think is hugely beneficial. Um, And then what I want to go into a little more detail about is um, actually learning to listen to your body and learning to listen to yourself. And I am the perfect example of someone who did not do that for a really long time. And I was pushing myself so hard at work. I'd started a company. I'd raised a bunch of money. I had a bunch of employees. I was working on something really meaningful. And I consistently just ignored what my body was telling me. I was getting sicker and sicker. And I would be in a stressful situation. And I would literally be having diarrhea 10 or 20 times a day. And this was, I mean, for years. And I was completely ignoring that, just saying, oh, I can power through it. Um, And it got to the point where I got so sick that I lost 30 pounds in a month. And literally, it looked like my body was wasting away. And then finally, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I should listen to what my body's telling me. Maybe, um, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, And so I think that that practice of actually... Like when you feel something in your body, like maybe everyone's felt a like a tightness in their gut or something in their heart or these different things that that's all there because we're supposed to listen to it. And if you learn to listen to those things, you very, very quickly start to realize when you're in a situation that is good or bad or you're about to eat something that's good or bad or just like maybe you're about to get sick and you can really recognize those things and by recognize them then you can change them and that I think has been the most powerful thing that um, I've learned about myself through this process right on thank you you're welcome and so you're cannabis entrepreneurs I'm assuming there's something in the pipeline what 
should we be looking out for next? What are you What are you bringing to the table? What's the next? What are you launching? Libby? Um, yeah, so it's pretty <laughs> exciting. Um, we're launching a hash-infused uh, pre-roll line. So um, it's herb and hash uh, as a joint. One gram. Um, it's sold as a single joint. This is What's called... What's it called? Oh, you jinx. <laughs> um, it's called the Space Coyote. <laughs> Brilliant. So it's totally cosmic. Like it's it's the type of thing um, that let's be real. Like it's for stoners. You know, it's it's a product for someone who wants to get really blazed and totally own it. It's you know it's something that we feel really passionate about. Um, I personally. Uh, I appreciate the root of the cannabis industry right now. You know, I love that people are trying to elevate the industry with these, um, you know, really classy designs and um, a lot of low-dose stuff is happening. But I want to remember the heritage market. You know, I want to really uh, make those stoners proud because I am a stoner. You know, <laughs> I, I think that it's so important to remember where this industry came from and the people who hold the largest buying power. You know, this is this is a product for people who maybe have been buying something that's already on the market, but they don't really feel an affinity for the branding or maybe the branding has been sort of disregarded um, and instead, you know, the product has been focused on. So this is definitely marrying like really great branding, really great product, like consistent, high potency, low price point. Um, and the important thing here is yeah. quality too. Yeah. I, I mean, for you've heard everything that we've been talking about. Mm. For us, quality and sure. everything is key. So we're working with the best hash, really great flour. Um, we just want to put out a product that we're going to be really proud mm -hmm. of. And mm -hmm. so... Everything that we consume and do in our lives is about quality, and so that's what we want to give to other mm -hmm. people. And we also really believe in working with experts within the supply chains. You know, we're working with a manufacturer who is really aligned with our values. You know, this is um, this is a group who um, is actually local to us, and they're just so hardworking and so dedicated to what they do, which is. Tr you know, making pre-rolls, making joints. Um, and it's really just recognizing that everybody has their own strengths. Um, and sometimes you don't need to vertically integrate. You know, you can, you can actually... Uh, be efficient. <laughs> you can be efficient. <laughs> and you can, but you can also, like, make a lot of people stand out and shine um, at their craft. It just has to be, you know, the best of the best at every level. Um, yeah. And also that efficiency does lend itself to the, the cheap price point. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not foregoing quality for that price. We're just, we're just being smart about it. Well, I can't wait to try it. <laughs> are you a stoner? It sounds amazing. <laughs> how, how high are you ready to get? How high are you right now? <laughs> you know, surprisingly not high at all. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Shh, don't tell. Yeah. No, that brand. sounds amazing. <laughs> thank you for sharing that with us. I can't wait to try it. Yeah. Um, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you.
Hello and welcome to the Outpost Podcast, the audio project dedicated to telling stories in the wild. We are on site at the Jack London Estate in Sonoma, California for the Bullet Frontier Dinner. Here we have gathered a vibrant handful of pioneering souls to join one another, break bread over the open fire, and explore what it means to break ground as a change maker in your industry. Please enjoy. What is your name? Leslie Gale Jonath. Lovely to meet you, Leslie. Nice to meet you. Uh, tell me a little bit about your background. You know, who are you? What are you building? And, uh, and what brings you to this environment? I am a content producer book packager. I started in media, first in magazines, and I was an intern probably everywhere. And I worked with a lot of nonprofit arts organizations. And then I got a job at Chronicle Books. And um, I was a cookbook editor and a garden book editor and lifestyle editor, which to me was everything in life, including death. So I did books on memoirs. I did books on children's books. Wow. I did all kinds of different books. Wow. So, um, and, and while I was there, I started uh, doing books where I, because Chronicle Books is in the West Coast, there weren't a lot of agents. So in book publishing, a traditional model is for agents to bring uh, proposals to publishers. But because we didn't actually have um, a lot of agents at that time, we just made it stuff up pretty much at Chronicle Books. Um, and I also found that people weren't really bringing me projects that I liked. So again, I just started making stuff up. Um, and uh, I guess I can give you some examples of that. Please, please. So, uh, so when I started at Chronicle, a lot of the books were sold in bookstores. And bookstores... What Chronicle did different than anybody else is they actually started selling books outside the bookstores, and they were one of the first publishers who sold books in places like anthropology, gas stations. They discovered all these untapped markets. So what we started to do, instead of bringing ideas to the marketplace, we started looking to the marketplace for ideas. And um, I noticed, uh, for well, the truth is I fell in love with an architect, and he was... Um, uh, in a sandcastle contest. So I decided to do a book about sandcastles. And, and, uh, and so again, I'm telling the story in a rather disjointed way, but on the way to doing the sandcastle book, we, somebody mentioned in a meeting, why don't you do a snowman book? So I ended up getting a photographer, an artist, a friend of mine. I went to Middlebury college who, who was at the San Francisco art Institute a food stylist who, because essentially they were going to cook for us while we made these snowmen. And we head up to the mountains and we made snowmen and we took pictures of them. And the book was called Snowmen, you know, Crafts, Creatures and Other Projects. And in that book, we made Snowy Dick, the Great White Whale. We made a Stegosaurus. We made all this stuff. And it turned out to be a book that was uh, kind of Martha Stewart meets Pee Wee Herman. It was this funky, wacky book. We had Jackie Snow in there and it was a week of just so much fun. And we made this really amazing book. And while I was making that book, I kept thinking like, why is the Discovery uh, Channel not here? Why? Where's a video producer? Like, why are we not 
taking this intellectual property and turning it into something else. And again, it was before the internet. It was before everything we have available to us. But I always was thinking much more in terms of content and um, audience and what was fun than I was thinking about books. And so um, I did a book on snowmen that way. I did a book that was about um, the Sandcastle book, which sand is way harder to work with than snow. Really? Much harder. I mean, I've built many, many snowmen in my time. You have? Yeah. Wait a minute. But, really? Tell but, me. But not, but, but, and also, I guess, like a few sandcastles. But I've never really gone deep on like the architecture, you know what I mean? But it's definitely incredible when it's when it's being produced. Please continue. Well, the snowman, I mean, again, so I worked, so my sort of thing that I love most in the world is working with super talented people. That's where the producer is. And so um, I have a friend of mine I went to Middlebury's College with. His name is Peter Cole. And he's just a dreamy, wonderful artist who can make things out of other things. And um, after we did the snowman book, I called him and I said I wanted to do a, a pumpkin book with him, pumpkin carving. And the typical scenario was that I would write the table of contents and then he would produce things or we'd have a conversation. And he called me up and he said, Leslie, I can't make Rush Mount Rushmore in a pumpkin. I just can't do it. <laughs> and I said, yes, you can. You're a genius, Peter. You can do anything. And so he sent me a PDF and he had actually carved the Mona Lisa into the pumpkin. It's beautiful. Um, Phenomenal. So that kind of collaboration where it's this really kind of magical um, uh, connection that you have with somebody where you just, I love making things with people. I love that. And it, I feel like you lose your ego and you get into the flow. And um, and I have that. I, that's part of what I did as a producer for books. Uh, but again, it's not really about the books. It's really about what you make. So we did this book on, we did the Sandcastle book, which he actually did Bill Bow in sand. Uh, wow. It's crazy. Um, we the, actually... The, the city. Uh, he did the museum of Bilbao in sand. Uh, that was also a book where, um, it's interesting, we got a bunch of architects to make sandcastles. There's a competition in San Francisco every year, and a bunch of architects make sandcastles. And we got these same architects to come and do sandcastles because it was a fundraiser for uh, an organization called LEAP. So what, what I'm sort of telling you is the progression towards what I'm doing now, because what I've realized is, uh, I, even as I'm telling you the story, that so much of my work is about bringing people together around mm. a particular interest sounds like and it. collaborating and making a book or producing something. So the Sandcastle book really was, we got the Gensler Architects, I hope I'm remembering this right, but the key piece of that also was partnering with a nonprofit. So for me, that kind of like creative endeavor the intellectual property that would be interesting no matter who did it. I mean, it's just interesting whether you're you're interested in the nonprofit or not. A lot of the things that we make are very joyful and fun. There's a lot of humor in it. Um, the photographer had a dog named um, Sam, and I remember Peter made a doghouse and then call, and then put Roger over the door just to piss off the photographer. <laughs> She's still mad about it. Twenty years, ten years later, so. Again, that's kind of my thing. And then I can tell you what I'm doing now is that I'm still working with Peter. Uh, we just did a book that's called, I'm going to say this, Foraged Art. 
not forged where you're faking art, but essentially how to make art using leaves and branches and flowers. And um, it's very much a DIY Andy Goldsworthy. Cool. And, um, wow. and then the other project I'm working on with Molly, who you've met, is a book called Feed Your People, Big Batch Cooking by Big Hearted Chefs and Recipes to Gather Around. The subtitle is very long. I, it's been we've changed it so many times that I don't really know what it is. That is a long subtitle, but it's kind of like it's kind of uh, endearing, you know. And um, I like it. Yeah, and that that's that's really what I've been doing now, which is feed your people. Similar to the Sandcastle book, is pulling together recipes by sixty different cooks, double, triple batching them, and it's like the food we're having tonight, which is essentially simple, casual, but really beautiful food that you gather around. It's not precious. It's not about, it is about having good food, but it's really about how you bring people together. Fantastic. So if then, uh, you know, if I might say that perhaps the, uh, the frontier that you push is in fact, um, uh, exploring the raw and limitless potential of creativity that is created and and at the same time enveloped but also opened when you bring talented folk together for a specific purpose or for no purpose you know and really with the with the with the pure task of creating together uh, that was so well articulated would that be Thank accurate? You very much for that that was really meaningful for me it seems like that's what you do yes and obviously extremely well well I it's so joyful. It really is just a beautiful feeling when you can do that with people. And when you and and the books that you're talking about are these reference books? Are they guides? Are they you know what like well, what is the what is the general modus operandi and kind of like approach and and uh, and direction? Well, you know, I've just been talking about the content, but but mm-hmm. I collaborate with photographers and designers, and so they, they're objects, they're coveted objects, but they're highly visual. So the entire piece of it, you know, with Feature People, we were photographing with Molly, and so I had recipe testers and food stylists, and I, it was a team of 20 people. Wow. Um, and it was such a long project that um, people started went away one woman went away had a baby came back another woman went off and worked at Chez Panisse for two years came back another woman I mean it, the team was like a giant family by the end of it it's phenomenal. and very How lovely fishing. it was very um, I'm very moved actually when I look at the projects because I'm reminded of the people who worked on them and same thing with Forged Art that um, has a photographer and Peter and the process, I guess what you said is so true. The creativity that's involved in making the books is um, spontaneous and it's also heavily planned. But there's that magic that comes when you leave enough space for people to do what they do really well. Phenomenal. And, <clears throat> you know, with particular reference to the project that's, that you're working on at the moment, which is How to Feed Your People. Right. It's, it's ongoing, correct? Well, I guess it's going back to what I said at the very beginning. You know, when I started doing books, you just did a book and that was it. But now I've started doing events. I did videos. Um, I'm trying to expand it into being a, a sort of more experiential. I don't even like that word. <laughs> I just want to I want to continue it because the truth is I like to have a, I love gatherings and I love bringing people together. Mm. So to me, it was like. Uh, and my true secret in making feeding people is that um, 
don't do it alone. So my secret sauce is that I get people who are better cooks than I am, invite <laughs> them to my house for dinner, Genius. and then I have them do the, all the work, and I provide the venue and um, organize it. Which is, of course, a treat and a delight for them also. Yeah, so that book was actually um, in, started because every year I have a vodka and latke party. And um, my, <laughs> so it's a total scam. I tell my mother ahead of time, I'll say, I'm going to do the party this year. And she'll say that I'm not doing it again. Forget it. <laughs> and then uh, three weeks later, she'll have, you know, 175 latkes, which she freezes. And then she brings it to my friend Anya's house, Anya Fernald, who is now, this owns Belcampo. And um, she'll bring in a little, um, what are those called? Those playmate containers? The, mm -hmm. she'll the bring Tupperware. Them, Tupperware, essentially. But she'll bring them in like big ones. And then and then you bake them and a hundred people will come to my house. And, yeah. it's, and my dad leads everybody in vodka shots. Brilliant. So, you know, that's, you know, if you want to get people together, there's no better way to do it than either around food or around an activity. And that's, as you were saying earlier, like that sense of creativity the, the, the creating of the food is actually an event in itself. Absolutely. And that's, that's, um, that's where it's just such a, the stuff of life. I completely agree. It has been said that, you know, <clears throat> despite the fact that we're in the 21st century, we have all these remarkably advanced technologies, you know, you have the iPhone, to, you know, the internet and all these amazing things, that the most, the most powerful and advanced, you know, successfully, uh, tools for building community are in fact um, uh, the campfire and the dinner table. Mm -hmm. And that one really kind of like rings home with me, especially as we sit around a picnic table, you know, overlooking uh, at a, a full campfire barbecue setup and, and a few, you know, long tables with like a, a glinting glow in the darkness. Um, it seems as though a lot of the projects that you create, you know, whilst an exploration of creativity, are really, you know, uh, you know, surround the building of community. Why is why is community important to you? Where does that come from? Hmm. Why is community important to you? I don't think I've ever. I mean, it's so f primal. <laughs> I mean, it really is. I mean, it's. I'm very close with my family, and. There's nothing more delightful than having that kind of deep connection with somebody. And a lot of it has to do with shared experience, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you think about, like, being alone, in a, not being alone, but being together with someone you're close to where you don't talk. There's just that sense of being connected. I think the human experience is lonely. And, you know, to be alone is both a beautiful thing, but I think there's something about the meaning of life which... And feeling fear and having emotions, which when you're around other people, that great comfort that comes in being with other people. And when it comes to feeding your people, let me ask you this, you know, do you prefer to feed them indoors? Do you prefer to feed them outdoors? Do you have a preference in that respect? I guess it depends on the weather. So if we were in San Francisco, I'd say indoors. <laughs> but I do, I mean, there's something about the outdoors, um, uh, I love the summer gatherings because there's people are relaxed. But I also really love, you know, those kinds of winter stews you can make. 
um, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I think about it in terms of um, the, 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 the sort of situation you create. You know, it's coziness. Mm. Um, I'd rather be in a small space with a lot of people than a big space with a few people. The, mm. You know, the best dinner party I ever had, I think, was in a one-bedroom apartment where we just lined up all the tables and it went, like, all the way through the living room into the yeah. bedroom. Like, one of those things where, like, people are smashed into each oh, other. and sure. But still, like, I remember doing that and being embarrassed about, like, am I doing a good job cooking or my house or whatever? And then that incredible sense of overcoming it because people are so relieved to be having a conversation, you know, to feel welcome. I think that's what we want is to feel welcome and there's such a lovely feeling to be able to give and welcome others um i don't know people talk a lot about community but it's very much about uh time taking time and slow and listening you know what you do deep listening that's beautiful oh <laughs> um <clears throat> Continuing on the, you know, I'm pretty interested by, I'm pretty interested by the concept of feed your people, right? Um, I also love to host. I love to, I love to feed my people. Uh, although I'm not such an acclaimed chef myself, you know, perhaps in a similar fashion to you, but I do recognize the raw magic and power and beauty of bringing people together, especially with, you know, a common cause or, or at least a common denominator, right? A common interest, and um, and so. You know, it's clear that you have an adventurous heart. It's clear that you are um, uh, boundlessly inquisitive. Maybe that's why you are, uh, you know, laying such, you know, brickwork in your in your wake for people to sort of, you know, explore these realms. Right? Every every um, every book is a compass, almost. You know, uh, what is your idea of? you know, an adventure. What kind of adventure do you, you know, what is it, What is your ideal adventure and what meal do you finish it with? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I'm thinking my adventures are usually outdoors. Depends if it's a travel adventure, you know. I mean, there's mm -hmm. so many you could take. Infinite. So one adventure I did was for my uh, bir big birthday. I actually went to Brazil. This is like a, one of those high ones, like you're like the big adventure. Like I went to Brazil for my birthday and I danced in Carnival. Yes. Which was... Oh, that must be magnificent. It was really fun. I mean, uh, it's Salvador, which is very Afro-Brazilian. It's that kind of it's part of Brazil that's very African. And so um, that was amazing because there was so much physicality and dance and it was warm and beautiful. And then there's all that street food that you can eat that... Um, and it's just about, again, people being together and dancing together, which is a similar passion. Um, and then there's the adventure of just um, being... Oh, I thought that was a light bugs, and then I realized it was a... Oh, yes. <laughs> I was like, what are there light bugs doing in San Francisco? Yeah. Or in the Bay Area? 25 but, um, of them in a know what's going on. Um, I think the other thing that I love is... Um, this live fire cooking that's going on here. Yeah. Um, uh, my friend Anya, who I just spoke of earlier, she has an asado. Um, and I love, you know, a warm summer evening after hiking and um, just being relaxed and being in the country and just spending a day cooking. I mean, making a big meal, 
picking things out of a garden. I mean, it sounds really cliche, but I love that feeling, you know, of going to a market um, somewhere in, that has great food, whether it's San Francisco or someplace warm. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm thinking of Santa Barbara. Or I'm thinking of Provence. And then just being with a bunch of friends and cooking because the act of cooking together when you talk about feeding your people, the, the, the feeling of cooking and sharing the process is also really lovely. Yes. And so, <clears throat> you know, with that in mind, knowing and, and kind of, you know, holding in mind the, the, the vast potential for what is created when you bring people together. And then also, you know, the, the, the deep importance and value of community and how, you know, food for sure is possibly the most, you know, the most common denominator, you know, save for maybe like safety, you know, that that can really bring people together in, in a positive way, you know, toward the carrot as opposed to away from the stick. Um, do you have any, uh, do you have any advice or, or, um, parting words uh, for somebody who might be looking to find a, or create a little bit of their own community, be it indoors, outdoors, with friends, or otherwise? Well, I think the advice for making for feeding big groups of people, um, you know, what I did for the book is that I worked with a lot of chef, I worked with a lot of cooks, not just chefs. We had a, a crab boil from the Dolphin Club, for example. Oh. Um, we got, um, you know, empanadas from Sandu Gutierrez, tamales. So the idea that you um, figure out how you want people to be in- included, welcome. Mm. You know, you've got to enlist, I think, not only because um, it's fun, but if the food is bad, everyone shares in it. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, you know, the idea that, like, you're all equally invested. I think a lot of times when people bring others around together the table, there's this sort of sense of, like, we have to be the hostess with the mostess or you have to be a professional chef. Mm. But you don't. You can um, create an environment where... Um, just make a simple pasta, get and have other people bring the sauce, you know, um, figure out how to um, make the the cooking a part of the experience and choose things that you feel comfortable with. Um, I'm trying to think of ways that you can seat people together. I think, you know, the long table is really important. We just did this event at Airbnb and we reconfigured their all their dining tables so they would be long tables. And just sort of bringing the environment, the sort of the outdoor environment into the this the place that you have people together like tonight is really important because you want people to feel where they are. Sort of that idea of an experience for me is so influenced by the space. It's not even as much as we've been talking about the food, I'm realizing that the event is really about how you integrate the food into the bigger sense of what you're the people you're pulling together. Did I make any sense? Actually, uh, yeah, you made perfect sense. Okay. And and you know uh, how sometimes you talk and you're like <laughs> your brain goes blank and your your mouth is still moving. That's kind of how it felt. <laughs> it happens sometimes, especially to me. Um, um, <clears throat> yeah, and I think that you know, I guess like to round it off, uh, uh, 
you know, speaking to the points that we've basically raised and been discussing, we have like this beautiful case in point example happening in the background. And I think we can hear a little bit of background noise from it right now. We've got a little bit of a soft glow. We've got multiple long tables because there's that many people and, uh, and some incredible food being served up family style in a way that, you know, every single person who's coming here is really, you know, they have an opportunity to kind of like share their story, connect a little bit, take some time out to disconnect from the, you know, hustle and bustle of city life and explore the outdoors, which to me is pretty important. Yeah, I, I think what you just said, and I was thinking about this too, um, is the idea of the out is the idea of family style is really important. And the idea of live fire is really lends itself really well to outdoor eating. Um, you know, we did it in the in the book. We were doing things like crawdad boil. You know, things like again outside eating, and that was actually one of the approaches we thought about with the book was um, by environment. You know, like kitchen dinners. You know, or um, uh, again outdoor dinners, but things where you the environment was also shaping the kinds of food you might choose. An indoor dinner might be something like rolling pasta. So it, I think this response of the outdoors, the indoors, and, and sort of setting the entire event so that it brings, it, it's very pleasant. Pleasant's not the right word, but it's really engaged, I guess. It's a nice way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That was fun. Thank you, Leslie. Okay. And so, you know, leave me with this. Um, where can we find Feed Your People? How do I get my hands on it? Uh, Feed Your People is available in bookstores everywhere. <laughs> and also in uh, gas stations and in... <laughs> well, I don't know if in gas stations, but I do know that it's all over. It's in bookstores, independent bookstores. It's on Amazon. It's online. Fantastic. Yeah. It's a big book. Um, and Forged Art is also available, which I think for the outdoor enthusiast is also something which um, is, a, is a fun exploration in terms of nature and how you play with nature. Phenomenal. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was really fun. Welcome to the Outpost Podcast, the audio project dedicated to telling stories in the wild. We are on site at the Jack London Estate in Sonoma, California for the Bullet Frontier Dinner. Here we have gathered a vibrant handful of pioneering souls to join one another, break bread over the open fire, and explore what it means to break ground as a change maker in your industry. Please enjoy. What is your name? My name is Derek Richard Wolf. Derek Richard Wolf, what a pleasure. Thank you for having me. What an honor to sit across from you at a lovely, dimly lit, approaching midnight outdoor recording studio picnic bench. I know. After eating some of your delicious food that you served up for uh, the Outpost and Bullet Frontiersman gathering. Yeah, I know. Please tell me, who are you? What is your background? 
and what is the nature of your involvement here with Outpost? Yeah, obviously, my name is Derek Wolf. I run a blog and social uh, called Over the Fire Cooking. So I specialize in all open and live fire cooking. Um, <laughs> so I I love it. It's so there are people that are adrenaline junkies. I'm like a fire junkie. Anything I can grill. I love doing really big chunks of meat, tons of veggies. Bigger the better, um, and see what see what can happen. Um, so that's right what I know. on, yeah. right on. And so and then um, you know you know your contribution here is obvious. You know we just had a phenomenal dinner. Tell me what did you cook? Um, so <clears throat> I did uh, slow roasted pork loin, barbecue pork loin, um, with uh, one of my good friends. Um, spicy barbecue sauce uh slow rest of that for about an hour and then lathered it in the sauce for a good old bark um my favorite part it was not smoked not at all so i was not american barbecue that was all open live fire um and then like fan favorite skirt steak with some chimichurri um go and try it and uh yeah i did Roasted new potatoes, caramelized carrots with some balsamic, um, kind of a fresh roughage salad with some feta cheese and um, balsamic as well. Uh, and then we uh, ended the night <clears throat> with some roasted or uh, pan grilled um, peaches with ice cream and Phenomenal. a little bit of bourbon. Phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, I tasted it myself. It was absolutely delicious. <laughs> Tell me this. Uh what draws you uh, so fervently to cooking outdoors, especially over the open flame? You yeah. Know? Like, like we have so many amazing tools in the kitchen, indoors, and like we're living this, you know, as, a, as humanity, we're living this like domestic yeah. comfort bliss dream. You know, like what drives you to, to, to take it outdoors? You know, I get that question all the time because everybody, um, I mean, it, it's so much easier to cook what I'm cooking inside or just doing it on a gas grill or anything. I mean, and everybody does that. I have no problem with that. I still do that. Um, but I kind of got to the root of that question. And my answer is, why do I cook over fire? Because somebody has to. <laughs> um, we like we live in a world that's just so entrenched with technology. I started this whole journey by making an Instagram page. That's like the most millennial thing that you can do. For sure. Um, I only found that ironic later um, (laughs) as I just like have journeyed into doing more fire cooking and like kind of done social, but like fell in love with the cooking and everything. Um, But I really think that somebody has to. Um, I think somebody has to because... I think that we are so entrenched with technology and it's totally fine. But I, I also think that when you get outside and you appreciate what it takes to cook over fire, then you start to appreciate what we actually have. Mm. Um, so instead of like using all the temperature gauges, you're forced with only your you know hands to check the temp and figuring out how like your grandparents and great grandparents cooked. Um, it, honestly connects you with the past maybe there's something that they knew that we didn't um maybe it's just that we have a pretty awesome life um and we're really blessed so i don't know if complaining is going to get us anywhere maybe we just need to get outside and cook over fire 
Man, I love your approach. <laughs> and so, you know, if I if I take what I've learned so far, might I say that Red. Hey. How you doing? <laughs> doing good. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I interrupting an interview? No, you're simply adding a little bit of auxiliary <laughs> flavor to it. And just and just like cooking outdoors, yeah. you never know what kind of flavor is going to blow through. And so you Absolutely. just got to roll with it you and just work roll with it. it. Hey, I enjoyed everything. Thanks so much. Yeah, Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Take Cheers. care. Have a good night. Have a nice time over in Dublin. Yup. <laughs> That's right. You're heading to Dublin. Yeah. Tomorrow? Tomorrow. Uh, like cool. in seven hours. <laughs> what is what is your what you know, this is an opportunity obviously to talk about your upcoming trip, but you know, what is your idea of an adventure, right? Obviously every time you cook outdoors it's a mini adventure, but like what is an adventure to Mr. Derek Wolf, you know? What well, okay, like so like my uh, my motto has been like <clears throat> With Over the Fire, my motto has always been, it's about bringing fire, food, and people together. Um, I think fire, that's... food, people. people. And I think that that's the adventure. Um, you know, I, like, I'm headed over to Dublin. I'm going to meet my wife over there, and I'm going to meet some guys that I've been, like, following on social for a really long time. To be clear, is this your now wife already, or are you just determined to meet someone who is going to be your wife? That is my now wife. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, her name is Allie. She's the bomb. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Go um, But yeah, I think that like the journey for me is always finding a way to incorporate food and people, and I always find a fun way to incorporate fire um, in some way, especially cooking outside. And I mean, that's like Dublin. Dublin is where we're headed next. Um, it could be anywhere. It could be Australia. It could be New Zealand. It could be South Africa. Um, that's the beauty of fire cooking uh, and where I'm at as a passion. Um, every culture in the world has the way that they cook over open fire. So just learning. Absolutely. In a way, you know, fire is kind of the like the great unifier, the great yeah. denominator, right? Yeah, it purifies everything. The, the purifier too. Yeah. Um, what you know, if you if you do this and if you practice this, you know, around the world, you're going to be. I I believe that you will be met with the same you know level of open arms. Like who who does not want the gentleman who is quite prepared to cook over the fire to <laughs> to hang out, you know, in their zone. What do you learn from these experiences as you, as you, you know, continue to engage in different environments around the world? I think the the big thing I learned is like there's not just one way to look at something. Um, although what it, in and of itself this is super vague, but in and of itself, like, you know, I could um, like take for example like how how we uh, process meat. In one country, it's different than the other. What they do with cuts is completely different than some other countries. I can't even find certain cuts in the United States that they do in Brazil. Wow. Um, and so it's they just look at it completely different, um, and they process it. And, you know, there are some things that Americans would probably be like, that is not the way to do it. And I say, well, maybe it is. Maybe we're missing it. Like, maybe we're not doing it right. Or mm. maybe they know something we don't. Mm. Um, so I think that's part of the adventure is finding out, like, let's add to the knowledge. Let's know how we do it. Let's know how they do it. Let's know how a bunch of other people have done it. Um, 
and then let's cook. And I think that kind of transcends into um, life and understanding people because people just want to be understood. Um, and then you can just roll from there. That's what food is the great uh, unifier and fire helps with that. For sure. For sure. It's also morale, you know? Yeah. Like food is morale. When any when any group is coming together to achieve anything, um, uh, you know, mountain big or small, yeah. to feed them together, to, to share a table, to break bread, to, yeah. to even create a meal and kind of like take it in together, it's such a poignant and potent experience that like it really, 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 really does bring people together. So, you know... I suppose in a lot of ways you're in a very privileged position whereby you can sort of like uh, uh, quite literally ship the medium uh, that, you know, that glues these people together and kind of like the the lacquer that that uh, really seals the bonds that are being formed between people. Yeah, I agree. It's way cool. Yeah, it's super cool. On your travels, who, mm-hmm. who do you notice, you know, which cultures, which cooking styles, like who's doing it right? Like who, 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 would, we, who would we do well to take a leaf from their book? Yeah. Um, Whose style do you appreciate? Man, every culture is so different. Uh, I, I mean, so, okay, this is one of my favorites. And they, they often in food and culinary don't ever even get a place at the table. Um, but I honestly think I was walking on the beach in Seattle on a trip with my wife, another adventure. Um, and we were just on an Indian reservation. They allowed us to come on. We were on the beach and we were hanging out and they had, um, whole salmon fillets that they had, um, like deboned and everything. And they put it on fresh cedar planks and they're leaning it over the fire. And, you know, I just was so mesmerized and these, you know, they were so nice. Um, and they just wanted to tell us about this. And I just told them, this is what I do for a living. I cook over fire. And they were like, well, you need to try this. So I was like eating with them and they never, like, they never share like food. They're, you know, they're very protective culture. Um, and it was just so fun. So honestly, I think that they handle seafood and a lot of fire cooking really well. They really know how to understand fire. Um, which is just a whole other concept. Um, so them, and then uh, I'm really in love at, uh, with the Irish culture and their way, um, their styles of cooking right now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they're really coming back with, um, you know, UK and all that stuff. Uh, was not known for a very long time to have, like, the most fantastic food, and that has so changed. Um, they have, like... Finally some yeah. recognition. <laughs> um, like, their produce there is insane. I was there only, like, two years ago, and it's just so insane, and um, everybody over there is just so happy and content with life. So maybe not fire cooking, but they just know how to live life. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> you know, you're on this amazing journey... Um, it seems as though you have a gift to share that people, you know, will readily invite around them. <laughs> what is the, you know, what is your personal frontier? What are you, what are you interested in, in exploring and in educating around in that space? That's like such a great question. Um, you know, I honestly think that my frontier is trying to find what keeps people together. Um, I know I'm being, usually I'm like really, really like 
up and uppity or whatever, I think I'm probably just really done with cooking. And I'm like, so I got my whiskey and I'm like, let's get deep. Um, yeah, baby. But I think that's the frontier. I, we just live, I don't know, man. We just live in a culture in a world that wants to find connection, but looks in all the wrong places. Um, and a lot of people overlook other cultures that uh, they don't have the same problems that we do in the United States and, you know, in the Western culture and all that stuff. And sometimes I think it's just because um, they they choose uh, to be content. Um, it Like, we, we can always want, like, it's never enough. And so I think that that's one of, that's one of the beauties of fire cooking is, like, they don't need anything special. Sometimes they don't even need a grill sometimes. I mean, you can cook right on coals if you need it. Um, and they're cool with that, you know. They don't need a thousand seasonings and a sous vide whatever or they, you know, they don't know what reverse searing is. They have no idea what a pellet grill is. They have no idea what all that stuff is. They don't really care. It was just about having delicious food with people you love and somehow they end up being happier. And it's like, man, maybe in life, instead of over seasoning everything, we just need the salt of good people. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. That Yeah. I like that a lot. So, let me ask you this. Yeah. Let's say, for example, the world ends tomorrow. Cool. Right? But it's not like a bad thing. It's just like the chapter is closing, right? Yeah. The world ends tomorrow. You got one last meal to cook. Oh. Like, and, and you can create this. You can create this in any environment, on any kind of fire. Stoked whatever way you want, with whoever you want, for whoever you want. What do you cook? Who do you cook with slash for? Yeah. And how does it go down? Oof. Okay. So it's it's going to be with my close family and friends. Right. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be at our house in our backyard uh, with all my fire pits and everything crazy. Um, what I'm cooking, I'm doing two meats. I'm going to be doing skirt steak like I do tonight. That's one of my favorites yeah, of all time. so good. Um, and then there is, uh, there's a meat. It's called picanha. Um, it's from, it's a Brazilian cut. Um, and it's from the, it's from the rump of the, of the beef. So it's like the top half of the butt basically. Um, but it has just this amazing fat cap. And so you can sear the fat cap and you slice it. And my, one of my favorite steaks is New York strip. And it like, it just has such a, it has everything you love about ribeye and everything you love about us, like a strip steak in one. Um, so I'd be doing that. Got some chimichurri, some roasted potatoes, the lemon garlic sauce, which is amazing. Um, you know, like lettuce, I guess. Um, salad, I guess. Um, if it's the last night, lots of bourbon. Um, and then I end the night with my favorite dish. It is my own over the fire, um, banana fosters with, yeah, some bourbon sauce, light it up, some caramel and bourbon sauce and some ice cream. There you go. That's, that's my night. And then I'd smoke a cigar and call it a night. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It happens more than you think. 
<laughs> and, a, and a fitting end. Yeah. <laughs> what is Banana Foster's? Uh, so it is caramel. So uh, we do butter. Yeah. Um, brown sugar until it caramelizes or until it creates like a nice thick caramel sauce. Um, you'd slice banana um, like vertically. Um, and then you drop it in there. You put a little bit of rum and a little bit of bourbon. I, I add bourbon. Uh, most of the time you just do rum. Uh, and then you light a match and you set it on top of it and it like it crystallizes the top of it, like kind of like a creme brulee a little bit. And it's add some ice cream and then it's the greatest thing you've ever tasted. <laughs> that sounds incredible. <laughs> awesome, brother. Well, hey, Derek. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much.